um, pew. This is on page 90. Um, or you can turn there, click to there. I'll, I'll have the passages up on the screen as well. I'm sure at some point in your life, somebody has said to you, or you have said to somebody, you need to go take a shower. Has anybody ever said that to you? Uh, you're probably being modest and um, just, you know, how, have you ever had to say that to anyone? I know the reality in our house. Maybe my son gets done with his soccer uh, game. My daughter gets done with her volleyball game. I get done with the long run or something like that. You're nasty. You're sweaty. Go take a shower. The idea of going, like the rule kind of in our house is if you just got done playing soccer or volleyball or going for a run, the first place you're going to go is the shower. It's not going to be my couch. Why? Because there's a nastiness involved there, right? Um, Think about the fact of what if somebody didn't go take a shower? What if after getting super sweaty, I mean just drenched, just pouring with the sweat, and then they go to work? Or maybe they just go and plop down on the couch next to you. Or maybe they get onto that packed train at 8 a.m. on the way to work. Is this just the thought of that grossing anyone else out, the idea of this? Go take a shower. Or say you get done with a sport activity, you're drowning in sweat, and you go and you give, try to give somebody a hug. Have you ever had somebody do that? And it's what, ooh, no, get away. I don't want to touch you. We kind of understand this sensation and these experiences, right? If you can understand this and you understand the reaction to these ideas, then you are ready for the next part of Leviticus. Because this is in some ways what is happening in this next section. We've been taking the book of Leviticus, and we've not been going every chapter by every verse, but we've been looking at it in sections, because Leviticus is the epitome of a book of the Bible that we have to understand the forest, the larger picture, to understand the trees, the details. And so we've been looking at them section by section to try to see what is each section trying to emphasize for the people of God. And so we looked at Leviticus 1 to 7 a few weeks, weeks ago where it talked about the sacrifices. And the big thing within that is that God wants to be with us. God wants us to come to him. And he's made a way for anyone and everyone to be able to come into his presence. And so God wants to, us to be with him. Then last week we looked at Leviticus 8 through 10. And this was a section on the priest. The mediators show us that God calls us. He wants us to transform our lives by grace, and he calls us to represent him. And so we've looked at the mediators, that the people that would stand between us and God to help us become the people that we're meant to be. And so we've been looking at these first two sections. At the end of chapter 10, what we looked at last week, the priests are told what one of their main responsibilities are. And it says this in chapter 10, verses 8 to 11. The Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. Now, one quick thing about that. He's not saying never drink, drink is bad. If you take a drink, you're going to die, and that's what, how it should be. Remember the key idea there, going into the tent of meeting going into the tabernacle, going into place of worship. You should have control of your faculties. You should know what's going on. You should not be inebriated going in to lead the people in how to worship and interact with the Lord. That kind of makes sense, right? So, I mean, just that makes sense. Why is that? Because of what we see in the next two verses. 
you are to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. God telling them, you are going, you need to have your faculties about you. You need to be on focus. You need to be ready because you're going to be the ones who are explaining to the the people of God the difference between what is clean and what is unclean, between what is common and between what is holy. The The people of God need to know what the Lord, how he has guided them and what he's commanded to them. And so they are going to be the ones to teach this. Leviticus 11 through 15, this next section that we're looking at, is that section when it gets into the things that are clean and unclean. This, that, that's what this larger section that we're looking at today is about. And just a couple of things that it's going to cover. It's going to talk specifically about addresses clean and unclean regarding animals in chapter 11, issues surrounding childbirth in chapter 12, Skin diseases and growth in homes and on garments in chapters 13 and 14. And then genital discharges in chapter 15. So I have a lot of pictures that I want. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. Um, So there's, I feel like I should just make that disclaimer really quick that uh, no pictures are used, uh, not using any images today like I normally would do. Um, You hear these topics and it could be of no surprise that this is the section of Leviticus that people are like, yeah, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip to the Psalms. Um, I'm, uh, let's, uh, let's go to Joshua. That's an interesting story. Strong and courageous. That's not gross. Um, this is the part. But the thing is, is we can't skip this. We can maybe understand why people would, but it's in Scripture. We can't skip it. And what we're going to see is why we shouldn't. And this is the big thing from today why we have these chapters and the larger kind of idea, God cares deeply about every aspect of your life. Every aspect as you go through your life, God cares about that. And that's what we want to see through these very, very interesting chapters in the book of Leviticus. And so before we jump into that, let's pray and ask that God would uh, speak to us. God, we thank you so much again that, that you do care and that you are here and you are present, that you're not distant, you're not aloof, uh, you're not indifferent to the things that we go through. God, I pray that um, you would help us to hear from you today. I pray that you would be the one speaking, that spirit, you would move in this place wherever people are listening from and that we would hear from you. We'd be encouraged, we would be challenged, our thoughts would be provoked and our hearts would be prodded to hear you and uh, turn to you. You know everything that we're dealing with. You know everything that we're carrying. And so, God, we bring those before you so that we can hear you and know that you love us. Speak to us now in your name. We pray. Amen. Now, like I said, there's a lot of details in these five chapters about what is clean and what is unclean. In the the translation that's in the pews, in these five chapters alone, the word clean appears 34 times in 29 verses. The word unclean appears over a hundred times in 75 verses, just in these five chapters. So this is what the topic is in these chapters. Using my weekly refrain that I have used every week and will continue to use throughout the rest of this series, we're not going to be able to look at every element of every five chapters. And so that could probably be relieving for uh, just knowing what these chapters are about. We want to hit on the big thing 
within these chapters. And within that, we're going to focus on chapter 11, specifically verses 44 to 47. So one small portion of this. This is what that text says. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourself with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground, for I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Verse 46, this is the law about the beast and the bird and every living creature that moves through the waters and every creature that swarms on the ground to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean, and between the living creature that may be eaten and the living creature that may not be eaten. Now, this is at the end of chapter 11, which is about the dietary laws and them and how and what they can and can't eat. But this section here, this small section, really gets to the heart and the idea of what the larger section of chapters 13 to 15 is about. And there's two really important principles within here. If God cares about the details of our lives, then there's two really important principles within this that we need to see. First one is this. The details of our lives should be holy because our God is holy. The details of our lives should be holy because God is holy. Just reading those first two verses again, 44 and 45. I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves by any swarming thing that crawls on the ground, for I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Holiness is at the core of who God is. It's the core, one of the major defining realities of his character. He is perfect. He is without sin. The holy God is perfectly loving, perfectly good, perfectly just, transcendent above and different from all. He is God, and we are not. And he is a holy God. And so God directs the people that if the core of what defines him is holiness, then that should define us as well. And why can he say that? Because he says, for I am the Lord your God. This isn't just anyone. This isn't just a guy down the street. This isn't a person on the other side of the country or the world. This is our God. We are in relationship with him. We've made covenant with him. He is Lord of my life. We use that language. This is serious. And he, he is our God. And then because of the fact that we are in relationship with him, he says, consecrate yourselves. Be holy. We talked about that consecrate word, the idea of setting yourself apart. This is different than other things. See yourself as different than other things. Not the idea that I'm better than you or something like that, but God has made me one of his own. That means I'm no longer lost, now I'm a child of God. I'm no longer away from him, now I'm one with him. That's different. And so God says, see yourself as that, and because I am your God, be holy. And we need to be really clear on this. There's no, if you feel like it, if you have the time, if you can fit it in, if it's not too inconvenient. There's no qualifiers like that. I am your God, be holy. And why? Because I am holy. 
I want you to live in a specific way, focus how you live on a specific way, that how you live shows who I am, reflects me, shows the reality of my character. If people look at your life, it should be like a mirror, and the reflection they should see is a holy God. You are to be holy as I am holy. So what we see in this section is that they are called to be like him in all the details of their lives. In every single aspect of who they are. When they eat, how they navigate different health issues, how they navigate death. And here's the really important detail within these five chapters that we might miss because of the squeamishness of the content. None of that happens, none of what happens in Leviticus 11 to 15 happens in the tabernacle. That's kind of like a duh, like, oh yeah, kind of observation even I was thinking about it, that none of what's described, they're eating at home. They're dealing with death at home, the mold or whatever happens at home, dead bodies at home, it's all out of the tabernacle. It isn't just be holy while you're here gathered, It's be holy when you're dispersed away from here as well. The eating, the childbirth, the skin diseases, their homes, their body, all of that is happening in a different place, but showing that is much an opportunity for worshipful reflection on who God is and showing the holiness of God in all of these places. What this section is showing is that being God's people isn't about only when they're gathered but when they're apart, when they're dispersed, whether they're by themselves or they're at work or whatever that might be. Don't simply think about being a holy person when you're at church, if you will. Think about being a holy person everywhere, regardless of what, where you are, all the time. God tells them that they cannot compartmentalize their life with him. They don't flip a switch and think God's stuff at certain times and then flip the God switch off at other times. God, we are holy because he is holy all the time. Does that make sense? And so this is the call of this. And so within that, if this is what these chapters are about, that God cares about all the details, every step outside, from how you have sustenance to what's going to happen when somebody dies to how new life is formed, all of it, the reality of life, God wants this to be something that you are constantly thinking, how do I be holy as he is holy, all of the details. And so work. And so play. Relationships. How I joke. How I talk. How I manage my finances. How I engage with people who are in a bad place or who are wounded or who are on the street. Whatever it is, whatever the conversation, whatever is happening in the place, in the moment. Be holy, God says. Because I am holy. This is a really good opportunity to readdress an issue that comes up in Leviticus, especially, but also at different times throughout the Old Testament. Do we, I mean, you read these chapters, and if you go through, I mean, we're not going through all the details. If you want to read them later, go through 11 to 15. It's very interesting. So we read this, and the question can come up, understandably so. Can't we just skip this? Why do we worry about this? Why can't we just skip to Joshua, or the Psalms, the stories about Jesus? Well, I said at the beginning of the series and actually beginning of today, Leviticus is as much God's word as the New Testament, so we can't ignore it. But one thing to be, we have to hone in on is what Jesus said. 
And Jesus said in Matthew 5, he said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Everything that was happening in the law, happening in Leviticus, happening in other parts of the Old Testament, were the law was try, everything that the law is trying to accomplish is Jesus fulfilled, Jesus completed. He completed what this law that we're reading about was trying to accomplish. Everything that we see here is pointing toward him, our need for him. The life that he provides, his life, his death, his resurrection, fulfill that intent of the law. He clarifies, I came to complete the law, fulfill the law. I didn't come to throw it out. I didn't come to nuke it. I didn't come to abolish this. You're not patterning your life after this because of what I've done, but it doesn't mean you ignore it. And so we have to see that. One really wrong way of thinking about Leviticus would be that we must order our lives after every one of its details. Because Jesus fulfilled it, we don't have to do that. But an equally wrong way of thinking about Leviticus is that we can ignore it. We can't ignore any of it because it represents God's character and his heart for humanity in a different place and time and how God is guiding his people to be like him. And so if this is what holiness looked like in their context, what can we learn about being holy? Because holiness never changes. God never changes. And so we have to ask ourselves, how do we imitate what this law is trying to accomplish? So we have to ask ourselves in Leviticus, what is this law trying to accomplish in order to make people more holy like God? And then how do we do that in a similar way? There are some parts of the law that only Jesus can do it. We can't do any of it. And we're going to see that in a couple weeks in Leviticus 16. That's something only Jesus can do. There are some parts that we don't have to do anymore like the part we're talking about today, the dietary laws, chapter 12, all these different things. We don't have to worry about the clean and unclean in the way that they did because of what Jesus did. Hebrews tells us in chapter 9, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, if everything that happened in Leviticus purified somebody, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purifying our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. What Hebrews is telling us is that because of Jesus's death and what he did, he power washes, purifies us. We don't have to worry about it the way they did. So when we look at these laws, man, worrying about this type of a thing, thank Jesus for what he did for us. However, we still want to ask ourselves, what are these laws doing? They're getting them to think through, in my life, as I go about every detail, am I thinking holy? And even though you can eat shellfish, you can still, you have to still think about, am I acting holy in this moment, in this place? Does that make sense? And so every one of the laws of Leviticus, we, we need to ask that. Some of them, it's only Jesus. Some of them, thank God that Jesus has made it where this is fulfilled. But even in those moments, what does this teach us about being the people of God? And the details of here 
is that we need to be holy people. And the New Testament repeats it. Peter says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Sometimes we see the New Testament repeating what's in the Old. There can be no doubt this is who God wants us to be. What's interesting about what Peter says, that with him being about calling the New Testament church to be holy, is right a little bit after he says this, he starts talking to them about how are you engaging civil rulers? How are you dealing with the culture around you? How are you navigating your relationships? He's talking, be holy as God is holy. And you need to think about that at every connection that you have. Romans says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We are called to be holy people in everything that we do. So that's the first principle. There's a, the details of our lives should be holy because God is holy. That leads to the second. There's only two today. The second, we must use spiritual discernment to move us toward obedience and faithfulness. We have to use spiritual discernment. Go back to that part that we read, um, the, excuse me, the latter part of our paragraph for today, 11, uh, 46 and 47. This is the law about the beast and the bird and every living creature that moves throughout the waters and every creature that swarms on the ground. To make a distinction between the unclean and the clean between the living creature that may be eaten and the living creature that may not be eaten. That phrase there, to make a distinction. Think back to what we read about Leviticus 10 when the priests are told to teach the people. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common. Distinguish between the unclean and the clean. It's calling them to use discernment, to have things before you and ask yourself, is this clean or is this unclean? Is this holy or is this common? It is a call to use discernment. And I specifically say spiritual discernment because we use discernment all the time. We make evaluations on things all the time. It might be movies. It might be TV shows. It might be restaurants. We don't always agree on the conclusions that we come to about some of those different things because our point of reference on how we evaluate things can be different. The person who hates seafood is going to evaluate a seafood restaurant different than the person who loves it. The person who loves scary movies is going to evaluate scary movies different than the person who hates scary movies. It's October. I'm using the scary movie language for Leon, even though he's probably watching online. We have, we have different points of references, and we evaluate our, the world around us sometimes, especially our experiences based on that. But what Leviticus and other parts of Scripture are telling us is that to be a person who follows God, we all have the same single point of reference by which we conduct our lives. Everything about us, how we discern what to do, how to do it, the people that we are, comes back to the fact that you are a child of God. You are part of the people of God. And if God, if he is your God, then that means you are called to be holy and that is our single point of reference. That is how we discern the things that we have and how we go about doing what we do, which is different than our culture because our culture's point of reference is the person. It's the self. 
well, I think a person should just be able to do whatever they want. I mean, if that makes them happy. That's not the best thing. My idea and the things that, as far as how I come up with stuff, I might have some good ideas every once in a while, but I trust me, there's a lot of people that can tell you my ideas are not consistently that great. And so we know and we trust the reality that a perfect God, a holy God, a perfectly good and loving God, his ways are also perfect. And so in saying he's going to be my single point of reference and I'm going to do what he, I'm going to pattern how I live based on who he is, I am living life at its best when I'm doing what I'm doing to try to imitate God. And to go my own way is second rate. It never measures up. And it's never, it's never going to compare to living the life that God has for us. And so he calls us to lit, think through how do we live our lives in a way that is holy. The only way I can do that is to use discernment. And discernment, I have to be intentional. I have to stop and I have to think. I have to process. Philippians says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think. Stop and think. Is this holy? Is this the best? Is this going to honor the Lord? Is this true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy? If it is, go that direction. But if it's not, I have to not go that direction. That's using spiritual discernment. Because whatever direction I go in, it has to lead to holiness. Uh, we were dr driving to a small town, Indiana, last night to help my dad with something. And me and the kids are in the car. And I've never really been exactly where we were going. So I have it in the maps. And it's come to this fork in the road and go left. Well, if I were to go right, that would be the dumbest thing in the world. If you were in the car with me, you'd be like, what are you doing? Well, I want to go that way. But the direction said to go that way. That's the way to go. What are you doing? And you don't want me to, you don't want to take over driving because why in the world would you go the way the opposite than what you're being directed to? Discernment points us to holiness. And what are we thinking to go the other way? We need to move toward faithfulness. We need to move toward godliness. We need to move toward our God. And sometimes that's hard. Sometimes that's not easy. Sometimes it's not as clear as Siri saying turn left and she's probably going to start talking to me. Right? Nope. Um, sometimes we need to process with other people. Sometimes we need people to open up the word and help us figure it out. But either way, we need to stop and pursue holiness and think. Hebrews says in chapter 5, about, about this we have much to say and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, and you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God, you need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. You hear him confronting people who are really immature in their faith. And he's telling them, you need to learn the basics. You need to get this down. Because you need to move beyond that to get to maturity so you understand the word, you understand who God is, you understand what he calls to, so that you can constantly practice discernment between what is good and what is evil. 
I would say the thing we need to consider from what Hebrews is telling us is sometimes we have trouble discerning what is holy simply because we are spiritually, we are okay being spiritually immature. We do not put the effort in prayer, in reading the word, in connection and community with other people to grow in our faith, to understand our faith, to learn more about God so we can then live for him obediently. We need to be, you, if you are somebody who follows Jesus, Sunday mornings cannot be the only time you open up your Bible. If you are somebody who follows Jesus, Sunday mornings and your life group cannot be the only times you open up the Bible. You need to be in those places. You need to hear this. This isn't just like social club. This is coming and hearing the word of God, learning the word of God, so we can implement the word of God and how he guides us. But you need to be doing that on your own as well. You can, we have to be taking in the word, praying to him, bringing our lives before him so he can teach us how to discern what is good and evil. First Peter, again, he tells us, be holy in all of your conduct. Colossians 3 says, Whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. There is nothing that we don't just stop and be quiet and slow down and discern. Whether it's how we talk to one another, how we go about, you fill in the blank, every detail. I have to stop and discern what does holiness look like in this moment. And it's in those moments when we don't discern and we don't go toward holiness that we aren't representing the reality of who Jesus is. And so within our own lives, we're not experiencing the fullness of God and the blessings of God, but we're also not portraying the reality of who God is to the world around us. We can see a lot of people in the world around us who say that they're Christian and they act another way, and I guarantee it's the simple reality that they're not trying to be holy people. They're putting some cultural thing or political thing or personal gain first. And to say holiness is second would be generous. It's probably not even on the map. We have to be holy people and let that drive everything. This might be a pretty ooh part of scripture, but it's actually an incredibly important part of scripture because it's telling us Every single detail about you matters. And that might be, like I said, the whole big thing is God cares about every single detail. What the whole message is about, be holy and make sure you're using discernment to obedience. Does God just say, you know, come on, do what I'm telling you? No, that's not what God is saying. Because remember, God is perfect and God is good and God, God's ways are best. And so when God says, I want you to be holy as I am holy, I want you to live every detail as a holy person, he's saying, I want you to experience that the best way possible. Not that it's not going to be easy all the time. There's definitely going to be huge trials and challenges. But to be holy as God is holy is God setting us up for the best way to experience life, to go through life. We have to trust him that his way is best. We have to trust him and be obedient. Let me end with this passage again. We already read it, but Hebrews 9. For the, if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of a defiled person with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of a flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? That's the gospel. 
It isn't by what we do. It isn't by bringing things that we're made right with God, that we're purified, that we're made holy, that we're made his sons and daughters. It's not by anything we do. It's based on what Jesus has done. Jesus is the one that cleanses us. Jesus is the one that takes away any shame, any guilt, any of those negative type things. God is the one who makes us new. God is the one who gives us life. He's the one that makes it possible through his death and through his resurrection. You just have to receive that gift of life that he's offering for you. And the life that he's giving you is the best life that there is. And he guides us in how to live it by challenging us to be holy. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for your word. God, is can be a difficult challenge to hear to be holy. And so the different things that are on our minds and our hearts, conviction, God, I pray that you would bring conviction to us. And I pray, God, that you would give us courage to be use discernment and be faithful. That we wouldn't just think about things, but that we would align our lives with who you are. And so that there are adjustments that need to be made in our lives, God, I pray you would help us to make those adjustments to be more in line in who we are. If there's apologies and forgiveness that needs to be done, because, God, we have moments when we've failed, I pray that you would help us to be responsible in those things. God, I pray that you would remind us of your grace, that you love us, you care for us, you forgive us, and we don't earn those things. You, it's who you are, and you bring those to us. We just have to receive it. God, if there's anybody in here who's never begun following you, I pray that today would be the day that they make you Lord of their life, that they would receive the life that you have for them. God, whatever is going on in our hearts as we hear from you, I pray that we would help us to respond, to trust what you are doing, and to live holy as you are holy. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We're going to close with this song that really, this is, to me, this is just such a powerful worship song today. And the idea of the fact of Christ in me. And so it's because of Jesus. It's because of what he's done. The fact I'm one with him, that I'm able to live holy. And so this song is a worship, but it's also a reminder to us of how we go about doing this. And so let's close with this last song.